Today's guest is married to an NBA player, is recently retired from her own successful athletic career, and is the mother to three beautiful children. It may sound like a picture-perfect life, but today, Renee Ingalls is opening up about some of the highs and lows that she faces every day with her family of five. Renee has become a vocal spokesperson for autism awareness, research, and education since her son Jacob was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder a couple of years ago. In this episode, Renee clears up some common myths about autism and shares advice for anyone that might be facing a new diagnosis in their family. Do you have a pressing question about parenting but don't know who to ask? Well, we are women supporting women, and we've got you. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and welcome to the Mom Force Podcast, brought to you by Chatbooks. Hello, Renee. Welcome to the Mom Force. Thank you so much for having me. What fun. Yes, I have had so much fun following you on Instagram. But for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what brought you from Australia all the way here to Utah. (laughs) Wow. Well, yes, as you said, my name is Renee. I have a husband named Joe and I have three beautiful kids. I have four-year-old twins and then a four-month-old Jack. So Jacob... Miller and Jack, two boys and a little girl. And for those of you who do follow me on Instagram or might know my big goofy Australian husband, he's actually a pretty good (laughs) shooter when it comes to basketball. Yes, he's a very good shooter. (laughs) We're very happy to have him. That is why we are here in Utah. He actually plays for the Utah Jazz. And originally when we came over seven years ago, we were just hoping that maybe he might get that one-year contract and, and have a bit of fun over here. And here we are seven years later, a part of the Salt Lake City community and family. And we absolutely love it here. Good. Okay. So I am not native to Utah either. We moved here seven years ago as well. I'm from Florida originally. I'm curious, what surprised you the most about Utah? To be really, really honest, when Joe actually got told we were getting on a plane, we're actually in LA and we were told to get on a plane and go to Utah because the Utah Jazz were going to sign him. We were both like, I don't know anything about Utah, uh, literally nothing. And as soon as we started doing our research, we were like, well, there's a lot of outdoor activities and things to do. But I don't want to say that it's been the biggest surprise, but I think something really heartwarming is just how lovely the people here in Salt Lake City are. And I think it really feels like a big country town, a big community where there's so many families and everyone kind of has each other's backs. And especially from a Utah jazz perspective as well, we've really, really felt that. So it's just one big family that is all supporting one another, which is a really wonderful place to bring up a really young family. Yeah, I agree. I've loved our time here too. And I definitely feel that sense of community and family. So you followed your husband, a professional athlete to Utah, Mm -hmm. but you yourself are a professional athlete. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) Was, yes. (laughs) Was? Okay, you retired. So I actually officially retired in 2019. Before then, both before and after having the twins, I was going backwards and forwards all of the time. From Utah to Australia? Yes. That's quite a commute. (laughs) It is quite the commute. Although Joe did spend five years playing in Europe and that flying schedule is far worse than coming from Utah to Melbourne, even though it is still really long. Made even longer by twins. I'll tell you that. Flying with kids is not fun. But yeah, so I retired in uh, 2019, which has been really tough. However, COVID has added a whole nother dimension to that. I actually retired in, I think it was August 
September. And then by March that next year, COVID had hit and we've kind of all just been stuck in our homes since then. So I played a sport, netball, which not too many Americans know what netball is. There is netball (laughs) here, but not at any sort of semi or professional leagues just yet, but it is starting to get going in some colleges. And there is Netball America and some leagues over here, which is pretty exciting for you guys. I always say that if Americans (laughs) get onto this netball thing, then they're going to be too good. And Australia oh right now are number one in the world. So I think America would be a great threat if some of those girls started running around. But what is netball? That's the number one question I get from Americans. And I think when I was here um, for the initial few years, I sort of got a bit sick of it and used to just tell people I played professional basketball in Australia. But now that I'm here and people know who we are, there's no more telling porkies anymore. So <laughs> netball, it's sort of a combination. It's on the same court as a basketball court. There is a ring or a net at each end. However, we don't use a backboard and you can't hold the ball for more than three seconds and you can't run with the ball. So it's all done on speed and you're in specialized positions. So there's seven people for each team on the court. And I was a mid-quarter and a defender in general, uh, more of a defender and Believe it or not, even though I'm just under six foot, I was one of the shorties on the netball court, which is why I ran through the middle. So, yeah, I played 17 years professionally. So it's been quite an adjustment period now. Yeah. So was your decision to retire so that you could be here full time in Utah with Joe or was it timed with having your kids? What was that decision like? Was it hard to make? It was really hard to make. However, um, there's a few jokes that fly around. I actually retired twice. So 2019 was my second retirement. My first retirement was 2017. I came back onto the netball court after having the twins at eight months postpartum and played out that year. And then I was pretty exhausted. The twins didn't sleep. It was pretty tough. And I felt that at the time we needed to be together as a family of four. So it was the right thing for me to do to retire. And I can honestly say that burning desire inside me never actually went away. And we came back to Australia in the summer of 2018. And it just so happened that my home team, the team that I used to play for, had a pregnancy in my position. So they contacted me and asked if I would be willing to come in and train and see how I felt. And then I played out another two years after that because that's how much I loved it. So fun. Come 2019, I knew the seconds that I stepped onto the court for that first game of the season that this was going to be my last season. I absolutely loved it. But everyone had always said to me, you know when the time is right. And I just never felt like the time was ever going to be right because I love the sport. I love the challenge. I love the competitiveness. I love being part of a team, but the time was right. And I just knew it. And it was really nice playing out that last year, knowing that it was my last. And it was probably off the court, the toughest year I've ever had because of the January of that year, I had already signed the contract and then Jacob was diagnosed with autism, our son. And it just made the off court stuff of netball really tough. However, when I was on court or running around with the team or out there on match day, I adored it, I think, because the off court stuff was so much tougher that year. But yeah, have not regretted the retirement at all. It was definitely the right time for me and our family. And now we have Jack as part of our family, which is wonderful, but there's still something missing. I haven't quite filled that void just yet of of what's next for Renee. As you were describing just that knowing feeling that it was time to retire, the only thing that I can really liken that to is the feeling that I was having my last baby because I have seven kids. (laughs) 
Not I never, I know it's, oh it's my a little nutty, goodness. but I'm the oldest of 12 and I loved having a big family, but I always thought I would have six. And that just felt like a good even number, half what I had, double what my husband had in his family. But yeah, we ended up with number seven. And well, are there any twins or anything in there? No. No. Wow. No, they're all pretty close together. (laughs) I'm just, no, I'm not. I'm just doing the best I can. I had a really great example in my mother, but my mother just wanted as many kids as she possibly could have. But I was like, no, I I know I will have a feeling when it's time to stop. And eventually that feeling came. Oh my, well, honestly, I find that just incredible. And I think I actually envy you a little bit. And when I say that, it's because I've always wanted a big family for when the kids are teenagers sitting around the dinner table. I've always yeah. wanted more people there and a big family. But then when I think about pregnancy and postpartum and more sleep deprivation, and I'm at three now, I'm Wow. Seven. My goodness. Renee, starting with twins, that's like right out of the gate. Like you're (laughs) overachiever. Okay. That'll do you. And I'm always impressed that anyone has another baby after having twins. I can't even imagine. (laughs) But I love how open you are about your motherhood and what motherhood looks like for you. I want to talk a little bit about what was your journey like? Was your pregnancy with the twins? Was that a surprise? What was that pregnancy like? You hinted that maybe it was a little rough. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, actually, the pregnancy with the twins was actually a really cruisy pregnancy. I had no problems. Given that it was a twin pregnancy, you were in the doctor's office pretty much every fortnight for the entire pregnancy until the end where you were in there weekly. So I loved being able to see the kids and see the scans and find out how everything is. And I always, the next two or three days, slept really well after that, knowing that they were growing really well and healthy. So pregnancy was actually excellent with the twins. In going back and finding out we were having twins, that is, I think, the most silent drive home that Joe and I have (laughs) ever had. We were just so thrilled. And there's twins in my family. And I have said my entire life, I'd love to have twins. But then when the reality of the doctor actually saying it to you and seeing two little heartbeats on the screen, we were a bit gobsmacked. Mm -hmm. And okay, what does this actually mean? And I was actually, I had just signed a new two-year contract uh, with my team back in Australia. So all of those feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm letting the team down. Oh my God, I'm going to have two kids. Oh, what are we having? How do we tell the family? Oh, my career. Oh, Joe's career. We're living in different countries at the moment. So there was a whole number of things that came along with that process, but it was amazing. I mean, I've always wanted kids, always wanted to be a mum, and to have twins first up was actually a huge blessing to us. The motherhood journey, I mean, you hear it everywhere. You can't prepare for motherhood. You could sit down with every mum in the world and they give you a tip and you're still not prepared yourself. I think going through it is something totally different than looking or hearing or, you know, watching other people go through the motherhood journey. So it's been a tough one, but easily the most rewarding and best experience of my life. And, you know, my three kids are just my world. I'm very lucky. Um, Obviously I had the twins and then we've just had, I've got a four month old Jack. He's like the dream baby. He's the baby that makes you think you could have more babies. The trick baby. That's that's what I call a trick baby. He is. That is is exactly what he is. He is the trick baby. And I feel like whenever I say that out loud that I'm jinxing myself and tomorrow it's all going to turn. So hopefully that doesn't happen. We've got three really, really good kiddos. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm curious. You, you mentioned that your son 
Jacob was diagnosed with autism. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. At what point in the development of Mila and Jacob did you start to notice differences? And what was the next steps that you guys took? I think when we started asking ourselves serious questions was when the kids turned two back in Australia at the time. And Jacob actually hit all of the physical milestones um, along the way before Miller did. But in terms of everything else, Miller was hitting everything first or Jacob wasn't hitting it at all. And I think it, I started voicing it out loud that I was getting a little bit worried about his development, um, in particular with sounds and speech and socialization. And everyone around Joe and I, our family, our friends, doctors were saying to us, you shouldn't compare the twins because you've got a girl and a boy and you shouldn't compare them and everyone develops at their own stages. And I completely agree with that, but it is completely impossible not to compare the twins. You know, they're, they're right there sitting on the floor together and it was getting pretty hard not to compare them. And Around, yeah, two-ish, we started asking some serious questions. I changed to a different pediatrician and voiced my concerns and she backed up my validations and said, yeah, I think we should definitely look into this. You as his mum have that gut feeling and know best, so let's look into this a little bit further. That was when he was two and by two and a half, we'd been in so many doctor's office specialists, gone through the whole diagnosing process, which is long and tough. Anyone who's been through that, it's pretty stressful and worrying time. And as a parent, you don't get a huge amount of sleep. But we went through the whole process going, we will do this whole process. And if we find out at the end, everything's fine, it was for nothing. Great, we've ticked that box. But I didn't want to not go through the process or hope that he develops and then miss a diagnosis and then him not get the resources and the therapy and interventions that he may have needed. And he actually, while we were going through the process, started speech therapy and occupational therapy. And both of his SLP and OT backed up our claims as well that they thought he may be on the spectrum. They weren't sure, but he may is still pretty young. And then at two and a half, Joe and I sat in a specialist office and, and heard the words, yes, your your son is on the spectrum. Wow. And what went through your mind at that point? And do you have any advice for other parents who might have just received a diagnosis and how to deal with that? Well, it was a really strange feeling. I remember watching her mouth move when she actually said it. It was a really weird feeling because it was a feeling of shock even though we'd just gone through sort of four months of testing and looking into whether this was autism, we were still really shocked when we heard it, especially because when we were sitting there and they were putting Jacob through a whole string of tests, he was actually doing really, really well. And like Joe and I were kind of like looking at each other, raising the eyebrows, giving it the thumbs up and high fives, like silent high fives going, oh my gosh, like, you know, we're seeing huge development here. So when we actually looked at the scores and the papers and all of that stuff and said, yeah, he's got autism. It was actually an initial shock. And then I think I just switched straight over into parent mode of, well, where is he on the spectrum? What do the numbers mean? What does this mean? What do we have to do? Where do we go to? And I think this is what we found hardest is that you go home like with a manila folder full of white sheets of paper and resources and things to read and websites to look at and people to call to try and get into therapies. And it's just overwhelming. There is just too much, so much, and you don't know what to take on board and what not to take on board. So the very first thing that I would tell a parent to do if they're sitting in that office and are hearing the same words that we do is just to breathe, to let yourself just take on what has been said and 
that it's not doomsday. And I mean that in a really nice way. We just thought our life was over. What does this mean now? Everything has to change. I'll stop my career. We'll do that. And it, and it wasn't. I think after that initial couple of weeks of not sleeping, I stayed up every single night researching and reading. I don't think I slept at all that first two weeks. I was ringing every place to try and get him on um, list to try and start ABA therapy, it's called, that you do for autism and speaking to his speech therapist, his OT, what next? And then at the end of that two weeks, we kind of just went, you know what? Let's just do it. We can do this. We've got this. Let's try and drop the stress of it and just take it one step at a time. And it got easier. It did get easier. And I would say now, what are we? We're two years down the track now. I would not change Jacob's autism diagnosis for anything. He is the most beautiful, funny little boy that you will ever come across. Jacob didn't become autistic that day that we were told he had autism. He's always been Jacob with autism and that's who he is. It's part of who he is and it's part of our family now. So we wouldn't change it for the world, but we do feel like where we are with our family, with Jacob, with our positions as athletes, that we have a wonderful platform and opportunity to make real impact and hopefully help other families that are going through what we have been through and are going through because it's tough. There are some real challenges along the way, but it's doable. And it's also a really beautiful process at the same time. Yeah. And you share a lot on your Instagram, which I think is so wonderful. And I've heard you say that knowledge is power and that, you know, you talked about two weeks, no sleep, just reading everything you can read, but you've also gone on to get some degrees in this. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So I've always, I'm a studier. I'm a serial studier. I love learning both in my career on the netball court and off the court. I love learning. I love studying. And when Jacob was diagnosed, and I I know that I'm not the only parent that's dealt with this. A lot of parents have dealt with it. But trying to get your child into services is really, really difficult. And there are really long wait lists. And then the actual therapy itself is really, really expensive. But while we were on wait lists and waiting to get Jacob in, I was like, we cannot just sit on our hands here. So I'm going to go and become an ABA therapist so that I can give him therapy at home. So I did that. It was actually a 90-day course and I finished it in 50 days so that I could just start doing Slightly motivated (laughs) to get through that. (laughs) And look, I didn't go and get my ABA therapy qualification so that I could be an ABA therapist, but I wanted to best support Jacob at home. And then once he went into a therapy center and best support that the communication lines between and keeping things consistent and flowing from school and home and all of those sorts of things. And then COVID hit last year and... I was sitting on my hands again and I was pregnant and Joe was away. So I decided to go away and get my graduate certificate in autism studies just to do a little bit more, learn a little bit more. Again, just I I really do believe that knowledge is power and, and the more that I can educate myself, the more that I can help Jacob. And then I get asked questions about autism all the time and I'm able to answer those questions about my experience with autism and with Jacob, whereas now that I've at least done a little bit more study, there can be um, a bit more of that education stuff behind it as well rather than just my experience at home with Jacob because like every book or every resource you will read about autism is that you will never come across two autistic people that are the same. 
Yeah. It's just so different. Well, so that's what I was going to ask you because I know that there's a lot of misconceptions about autism because it presents mm. so differently, like different ranges on the spectrum. So can you help our listeners know what do they need to know about autism and what are the common misconceptions with autism or with children with special needs in general? Oh my gosh, there are so many misconceptions. I could list them off that vaccines cause autism, that autistic kids or autistic people can't show empathy, that autism can be cured, all completely untrue. But what I would say is the number one thing that I would want people to know about autism is that you cannot see autism. It can look so many different ways in an individual or a person, but it's it's a neurological and developmental delay or condition and it doesn't look a particular way. So you might see someone out in public struggling with something in a situation or maybe socially not understanding the social cues. There's nothing in that telling you that that child is autistic or has a special need. So I think just all of us need to have a kind heart, whether that is for autism or any disability or anyone who doesn't have any of that. I think if we all just look at others, people we do know, family, friends, and of course, people as the members of the community that we don't know with a kind heart and a non-judgmental eye and an inclusive space, then I think that's our way to go. I think one of the biggest things that I'd say broke my heart at the time, definitely feel very differently now. When Jacob got his diagnosis and everything you read is that autistic kids can't show empathy, that is so untrue in our case. Jacob is one of the most sensitive, loving little boys and is so caring and thoughtful of other people and other people around him and where he is. So I think it's just taking everything that you read or everything that's thrown at you or what the diagnosis says or what is listed under the diagnosis in a book or a resource, take it with a grain of salt because, you know, there's only so much that we do know about autism and that they are all completely different. Anyone who's on the spectrum, I actually believe we're all on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes I, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But the biggest thing is that they just, they learn a little bit differently. They see the world a little bit differently. And sometimes I look at Jacob and the way he views the world and go, I wish I could see it through your lens because I think at times it's a lot more beautiful than the rest of us. Yeah. I love your advice to just all be less judgmental you know, have a heart full mm-hmm. of love because everyone's different. I saw a video on your Instagram of Jacob consoling a baby and loving a baby. Oh, and yeah. For anyone who says that a child with autism cannot feel empathy, I saw it with my own two eyes. That was so yeah. beautiful to see. It is. And, and Jacob's just beautiful with Jack. He calls him baby Jack. And he'll come in and say, hi, baby Jack. How are you, baby Aww. Jack? Or if baby Jack is crying, he'll make sure he gets his passy and and tries to give it to him or gives him a hug or just he'll be watching a TV show and just walk over and give Jack a kiss on the head and walk back and continue with his TV show. So So sweet. I just, yeah, it's just, they're such beautiful little people or big people, you know, that people on the spectrum, it can look and feel so many different ways to them and to us. So it's just embracing everyone for their differences, right. I think. And not being judgmental means when you're in a restaurant and there's a child that <laughs> seems to be misbehaving, don't assume yeah. that that parent doesn't know mm-hmm. what they're doing. You have no idea what's going on in that family or with that child. And we all just need to have a little more grace and a little more love. Man, the whole world would be better if we could just have more empathy and less judgment, <laughs> right? 
Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I know. Um, Renee, we have a Facebook group, the Mom Force Facebook group, where we've got about 8,000 moms that share stories and advice and ask questions. And this question was recently posted. And I was wondering if you could answer it for us. It was from okay. Becky. And she says, how do you handle any exclusion of your child or of you because of your child's special needs? Do you have any advice for parents or children with special needs that might have felt excluded or discriminated at some point? Wow. I think in terms of feeling really discriminated against, I've been pretty lucky. However, I definitely have examples of when I've been in a supermarket or a restaurant. This is all pre-COVID, of course, because I haven't done any of these things in over 12 months (laughs) or in a line at the airport and my son is on a an iPad with his headphones in or and honestly that's what how we used to go into restaurants is Jacob's on his iPad and that's his way of coping. And you can just feel the eyes mm-hmm. on you, you know? Judging. Definitely judging. And and I felt it at the supermarket too when Jacob's had a meltdown or when he's screaming and doesn't want to get back into the car and he's hitting and punching me and I'm trying my best to keep smiling but really show him into the car. And tough school drop-offs and school pickups and transitions. It's all really tough. And I think you can feel those eyes burning on you. But what I would say is the best way to deal with that discrimination is to not care. Because do you know what? I love Jacob to pieces. And if he's not coping in that moment, then I'm going to do whatever it is at that time in that moment that I feel is best for my child to cope. I think if people have had more perspective of what we were dealing with or maybe what happened in the lead up to that child, essentially in brackets, misbehaving as they might see it, then they would probably feel more empathy for me as well. So I think especially over the course of the two years since Jacob's diagnosis and us getting our heads around it, we just don't care anymore. I really don't care what anyone else thinks, which is probably why I'm more open on my social media and stuff as well. Mums, if you're going through what I'm going through, I get it. I hear you. I support you. And maybe seeing someone else going through the same thing can make it a little bit easier. And that was probably the best piece of advice I could give after diagnosis. I should have said this, is that I read every book every resource, every website, followed people on Instagram. I did all of that stuff. But the one thing that actually helped me the most was finding people or my community that have been through or are going through the same thing that I was. So rather than reading in a book how someone might deal with a bad transition, I would ask a parent who's been through the same thing, how did you do it? What were your tips and tricks? What didn't work for you this time? And there was one uh, woman in particular, Chloe, who I'm actually on the board now with for a charity in Australia for ASD kids. I would send her texts at ridiculous times of the morning or the night or I'd call her and we'd talk, especially in those initial couple of months. And the love and support and gratitude that she showed me just because she's been through it was far more helpful than any doctor or book or resource that I could have read. So like anything, not just autism, but any special need, any illness, anything, find people that are like-minded and have been through the same thing because knowing that you're not alone and you're not living a lonely existence in your hard and tough moments definitely, definitely makes a difference. So find your people and like like your people in your Facebook group that's, you know, a family of 8,000 all supporting each other with questions. And that's exactly what it is. Join those support groups, find your friends and people that understand because a lot of the time I find, especially with autism, 
a lot of people don't understand what it's like to to live with an autistic child or to have an autistic child at a restaurant or to try and get them to do swimming lessons or how many times they're up at night. You cannot understand that until you've lived it. Exactly what we said, you can't prepare for motherhood because you haven't done it yet. You haven't you haven't lived through it. Yeah. So you're not alone. There's someone out there that's going through what you're going through now or have been through. So find your people. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing so much of your experience on Instagram publicly so that people can find you and feel that connection (laughs) and that bond. You're so open on that. And I know it's been a huge blessing to so many families. You mentioned that you read everything and, you know, looked into every resource. Can we just talk a little bit about resources and of all the things that you have read and experienced, what would be your recommendation, like what were the most helpful that you found while you were coming to grips with the diagnosis and mothering this child? Any specific websites or agencies? Again, I would say your people. Find what have worked um, for the people that have been through what you're going through. For me, I found it really valuable doing the ABA online course. It wasn't expensive. I think it was about $500, but that just gave me so much knowledge of how I can help Jacob through all of those behaviors, challenges, what things can and can't look like, what therapy is going to look like, what they would do at his therapy center. So definitely looking into educating yourself. It might not have to be that same way, but definitely educating yourself in in what they're actually going through. Don't just send them off to school, say bye-bye, bring them home and be doing something completely different. Yeah at home. Joe and I are incredibly grateful to be on board at Culture City here over in the USA and Australia actually. We've got some sensory inclusive venues in Australia, but it's making venues, sporting venues, art galleries, museums, aquariums, sensory inclusive. And I think that's really, really important. So maybe if you've got um, a child with sensory difficulties or autism or, you know, any of those sensory struggles, then you can actually go online on the Culture City website and have a look up venues that are sensory inclusive that you could take your child to and not miss out on those family experiences that so so often, especially earlier in the diagnosis, that we just thought, no, too hard, let's not do it. So they're doing some really great work and we're really excited to be a part of that and, and getting these kiddos out and comfortable in all of these challenging spaces. Yeah, and that... I. I imagine helps normalize differences, like differently abled people should be able to enjoy all of the things that we enjoy and go to the games and go to the venues. Yep, exactly right. Now we just need COVID to be over so that we can all start doing I that. I know, so that we can <laughs> all do this stuff. I know. Please. Something I noticed on your Instagram is you do so many fun things with your kids. And as you were talking about all the things that you've learned, you're essentially a therapist for your child. Is that kind of what's behind all of the crafts and the the sensory, you know, experiments? And and it's just like, wow, how does she have all the energy for this? And a new baby. So talk to us like, oh about juggling, you know, this responsibility that you feel. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, do I have the energy for it? No, probably not. I don't. <laughs> But the kids love it, really, really love it. And initially I started doing all of the activities, honestly, was around the time that the twins were about two and that we were starting to look into the diagnosis and knew that Jacob probably had some, because Jacob also has a sensory processing disorder as well. So I just started doing sensory activities just to get him more comfortable with that sort of thing. And then it just evolved into all these ridiculous activities that I do with kids now, with the kids now. And they just have an absolute ball. They love making mess. They love watching me clean up the mess. But if, at the very end of the day, if I'm coming down to why I do it, is that, do you know what? 
especially Jacob, because he loves it and it is a coping mechanism for him. But my kids spend a lot of time on technology. Nowadays, that's the way of the world, isn't it? And they probably spend more time on technology than, you know, the recommendations or, you know, what they're supposed to. But it probably eases my mum guilt a little bit if I'm doing all of these activities and we're getting outside and running around doing physical activity, coming inside, doing some learning activities or playing and climbing through laser beams and doing fun stuff and actually getting that socialization, especially for Jacob, because socialization doesn't come easily for him. But if you make the activity fun, then he's more than happy to be a part of it and running around with his sister and I and wrestling and laughing and playing and talking and getting speech and all that stuff going. And Miller adores these activities. So I purely do it out of the kids' love for it. Do I always want to do it? Absolutely not. And you know what? There are days, some Sundays, we'll sit and watch TV all day or be on the iPads because, you know, that's survival and we have to do it. And um, it is what it is, but they love it. So I love it and and try and do it as much as I can. But it probably, if anything, just means I can drink my coffee hot and not have <laughs> as much mum guilt while they're watching yeah. you know, Paw Patrol or something. <laughs> I saw something that you posted actually today in your stories, and I want to read it because it yeah. was so powerful. It said, just a friendly reminder that the more effortless a mom makes motherhood look, the more effort she put into making it look effortless. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. 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 And you know what? There are some days that I put in so much effort and there are some days where I put in none because I'm, you know, yeah. running on nothing. But especially a lot of the questions that I get being an MBA wife or a WAG or whatever you want to call it. I hate all those terms. I'm just Renee. And <laughs> yes. Renee from, the, from Melbourne and Joe, Joe from Adelaide. But, you know, so many of the wives are so glamorous and beautiful and hair and makeup done and designer clothes and all of those things. That is not me. And if it was going to be me, it would take an entire day to look like some of them do. Mm-hmm. And I just... I, most respect, but it's just that takes so much effort. And I think, especially in the world we live in today with social media, is that everything, including motherhood, looks perfect. And it just isn't. There's more of the other stuff than the perfection. So, yeah, I actually saw that post on someone else's account. So I did the repost because I yeah. Yeah, really liked it. It was so good. All right. One other thing that I saw you post recently too is you. You posted a slide saying that you often get people thanking you for your openness and vulnerability with your kids and for not being embarrassed by any of it. And you posted a really thoughtful response. And I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on that with us. Well, when people ask me things like that, first and foremost, it makes me sad that there might be people out there that feel like they can't talk about their situation or their challenges or real life. Because so much of what we see on social media, and don't don't worry, I go down the rabbit hole of looking at all of these beautiful accounts, and I still follow all of those beautiful accounts that are perfect, and you know their kids must be perfect because nothing's ever wrong, or doctor's appointments, or you know whatever it is. I follow all of these people, but it's just so easy to go down that rabbit hole of thinking, well, I can't do that. That's not me. That's my situation. My kids aren't perfect, and well, my kids are perfect to me and for them because they're them regardless of what it is that they're getting or doing or you know I was at a helmet appointment for Jack this morning and these are just the things you do for your kids whatever it is whether it be a dentist appointment a helmet appointment an autism therapy session or Miller my daughter is getting glasses whatever it is we 
we all have something and anyone out there, whether that be an individual family, mother, child, whatever it is that says or thinks everything or their relationship is perfect, is telling porkies, <laughs> like I said on my Instagram. Porkies, I love that. You know, because life is life and all of these things that we go through just make us stronger and more resilient and able to deal with the next thing that is thrown at us. And, you know, I think we need to celebrate all of our differences and talk about them because there are other people in the situation. And like I've said the entire podcast about finding your yeah. people that have been through what you have been through, well, if no one's talking about it, how do we support and love and care for each other or grow an understanding for each other? So, yeah, I talk about it because it's me. Yeah, I just think I can, I can post the, the nice fluffy photos, which I still do, and all of that, the, the beautiful moments, but I think it's the tough stuff that we go through that make all of those Instagrammable moments worth it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And more enjoyable. And it's not about being open and vulnerable. I love what you said, that your family is perfect for you. like. Absolutely. Of course, course you're not going to be embarrassed. This is just life. This is my life. And I love it. And I love that you said that. That is something that I really believe that there's no such thing as a perfect mom or perfect family. But I know that these kids are perfect for me. Do you know what? I especially throughout my entire sporting career, I've been a perfectionist and I thought everything had to be perfect. I thought I had to put on a persona of being perfect and so strong that nothing ever gets to me physically, mentally, emotional, all of those things. And I think motherhood came and hit me across the head with a baseball bat and said, <laughs> wake up, honey, because life's not perfect. You don't need to look perfect and you don't need to be perfect because it's all about us as individuals and, of course, as a family and as a community and as people and our individualities and differences that make us who we are. So let's celebrate that. I love that. Oh, you're amazing. Renee, thank you so much for spending your morning with us and sharing so openly and beautifully with the world through your Instagram. All right, tell us, what's your Instagram handle? Just Renee Ingalls. Okay. Yep. Plain and boring. (laughs) (laughs) R-E-N-A-E-I-N-G-L-E-S. Is that right? Correct. Okay, perfect. Yeah, correct. All right, you're awesome. Thank you. And go Jazz. Hey, do you take your kids to the games? Should we just keep, if I keep my eyes out, will I spot some of them in the stands? <laughs> well, I haven't even been in a basketball stadium for over 12 months, but actually no, the kids don't come to the games unless it's a day game, okay. which Jazz never played day games here, as you would know. But Jacob's really, really struggled at the games. We can take him now because Vivint Arena is now a Culture City sensory Yay! certified and verified stadium. So there is a sensory space there that we have used for him. Miller loves coming. However, anyone that knows me or follows me or will follow me on Instagram knows that I'm a bit of a psycho when it comes to sleep and my kids' sleep routines. So they are in bed before the jazz games even start. So yeah, often that is my mum time to get away from the kiddos and enjoy being in the crowd supporting Joe. So I'm hoping all of these vaccinations start happening really soon so that I can go back because I have not been in a jazz arena for well over 12 months. Oh man, that's so tough. Yeah, I know. And Joe's having his career best season. So Maybe that's a sign. Maybe I should keep watching from the couch in my pajamas with my cup of tea and chocolate. That just might work know. out for both of y'all. <laughs> uh, thank, you thank you so, so much for having me on today because chat books and podcasts are two of my favorite things. So <gasps> joining chat books and podcasts together, amazing. Yay. So well, we love you, you, Renee. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for joining the Mom Force. 
don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and come join the conversation over on our MomForce Facebook group. And check out the show notes for a special chapbooks discount code. Until next time.